listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast with your host, Timothy Lambert Monk. Yes, welcome you in all to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. This is the AFC North Exit Interviews Podcast. Hope you're enjoying the other ones. Yesterday it was the AFC South, Monday it was AFC East, and we had a free agency podcast on Tuesday as well. Like I say, a podcast every weekday for you lovely folks out there. Like I say, hope you are enjoying them. Let, let us know if you are at full 10 yards. Maybe you liked a guest, maybe you liked a certain team, or maybe we've got it horribly wrong. Let us know all the same. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast as well. We'd love to get a bit more exposure, get some more people out there as well. Really enjoyed actually the uh, for the five yard, yard, yard rush uh, podcast there with uh, the ice kicker as well and uh, another couple of guys really enjoyed those crossovers hopefully i can be a part of one of those soon and similarly if you're a philadelphia eagles fan out there please get in touch with us we need one for the nfc east podcast next week uh, the person who was supposed to be doing it wasn't able to complete the uh, the interview so that's not good but uh, their loss is someone else's game so yeah any eagles fans out there please get in touch with us but today's podcast is all about the afc north we're going to be talking about baltimore pittsburgh cleveland and cincinnati thank you before we get into those thank you to everyone that uh, participated and uh, made some good chat on there just a bit of a caveat on the baltimore side this uh, the, that segment was done before the uh, flacco and uh, crabtree uh, announcements that have made over the last week or so um, but it was still good chatter still a lot of relevant stuff in there as well so so with that in mind, uh, let's get into it. Okay, first up in the AFC North, uh, the Baltimore Ravens took the uh, division title there with a 10-6 record. And to, to break it all down for us, we have Michael Telford, who is at Chibs RSR on Twitter, if you want to get in contact with him. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you are obviously from across the pond over there in uh, Kentucky, it says. I, I can see on your Skype. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, I do this all the time. I, I I like to clarify I'm not from Kentucky. Ah. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> from New York, but uh, yeah, it's where I live at now. Very nice. And um, yeah, I mean, Baltimore, uh, interesting team this season, weren't they, with uh, all the all the things that were going on. But let's start like, right right from the beginning, uh, going into to last year's draft. Obviously, Lamar Jackson, the the final pick in the, in the first round. And the, the main storyline coming into the season was, you know, kind of a how many ga- how many games Lamar Jackson was going to play, if any, um, you know, because out, out of all the the rookie quarterbacks, if you like, he was the one that was probably least expected to to come in and start a game. Maybe he was going to sit just to, due to his rawness. Um, I mean, what did you make of the Lamar Jackson pick uh, itself? I uh, I mean, he went to school in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, so I got to watch him up close a lot because, uh, I, I mean, I work and live maybe five minutes from the stadium. Uh, I wasn't really happy with the pick. Uh, I just call it my old school mind, I guess. I, I'm more of a prototypical pocket passer uh, fan when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, but also Lamar Jackson, I mean, he never had – he was always a sub-60% completion percentage kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that kind of stuck with me and he kind of showed it in Baltimore too, that he just, you know, he was not consistent passing the ball. So I wasn't happy with it. I hope he proves me wrong. Cause I've, you know, I have a running joke that he's the best running back in the AFC North. <laughs> um, I mean, 
you know, that's kind of my thing that I roll with. And hopefully it proves me wrong. But to this day, I'm still not sold on Lamar Jackson. I mean, if you put, when you put comments like that out on the, in, in Twitter sphere, you, I suppose you'll get a few, um, a few fishes out there in the sea biting on that bit of bait. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's oh, actually, every day. yeah, yeah, every day. Absolutely. Lots of fish, lots of fish to eat for dinner there. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of obviously other storylines uh, for Baltimore going into into the season. John Harbour, obviously, uh, who's subsequently been extended, uh, he was he was um, and R and about whether or not he might have been back uh, in 2019-2020. And let's not forget as well, this is a wide receiving core that has had quite a bit of a overhaul as well with this season. Uh, you know, last couple of years have, have not been that great in terms of production. Uh, you know, this year you brought in Willie Sneed, John Brown, uh, and Michael Crabtree. What, what did you? They you know they combined for the most drops in the league. Um, which might yeah, might not not necessarily be all their fault, but so what did you what did you make of those cut those moves? I I was really stoked about the Willie Sneed thing. Um, you know, the first time they brought him in for a visit, I was all over it and I was super happy about it. Um, you know, I'm glad he was there. He was not as consistent as I had hoped he would be, uh, but he's honestly my probably my second favorite wide receiver on the team. Um, Crabtree, I'm actually the big guys. Don't give me credit, but I was the one that uh, that broke the Crabtree news that he was signing with Baltimore. Uh, and you kind of knew what you were getting with Crabtree. You know, a, a veteran wide receiver who can make some tough catches, but who struggled with drops more and more throughout his career. So it didn't really shock me that he dropped all those balls. Uh, it did aggravate me, mm. though. Mm. I uh, I was calling for Crabtree's head for a large part of the season. <laughs> uh, and as far as John Brown, I mean, once they made the the switch at quarterback, John Brown was kind of a, a non-factor. Mm. Uh, you know, I hopefully he ends up in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians again because he's better than what Baltimore made him out to be, especially after coming on so strong early in the season. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's quite easy to to put Baltimore season as a kind of a game of two halves, wasn't it? Um, the first the first part of the season was Joe Flacco, um, you know, and they say John Brown, I, he was quite a popular pick for me in fantasy going into the season, and um, you know, first part of the season he he was coming up with uh, with all the flowers, wasn't he? Um, but yeah, like I say, once, yeah. once Lamar Jackson kind of came in, and then obviously Gus Edwards as well towards you know the mid part and the, the late part of the season, uh, the, the whole dynamic and the the way that the, the Baltimore Ravens played the game just changed totally. Yeah, it did. And I mean, Gus Edwards was a pleasant surprise. And it's kind of what Baltimore has done over the past few years. I mean, Justin Forsett, one-year wonder. Terrence West, one-year wonder. Alex Collins, one-year wonder. So you have to wonder if Gus Edwards is going to be a one-year wonder. But that being said, I mean, Edwards is really like kind of the prototypical back you want in a Greg Roman scheme. He's a he's a see-hole, hit-hole kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think they need a more dynamic running back behind him to help with pass protection and obviously receiving duties. Um, but it, I became a fan of Gus Edwards very quickly. Uh, it kind of helped that you know we both went to Rutgers. But <laughs> yeah, and I mean, just a, just a point on obviously Gus Edwards with him in conjunction with uh, Lamar Jackson. They they put up uh, one hell of a kind of a, a, towards the end of the season rushing attack, didn't they? You know, sixteen hundred and seven rushing yards in the last seven games. Um, you know, when you, you think of that number and you think Zeke Elliott had 14, uh, just over 1,400 on the whole year, it just kind of puts into perspective kind of what this uh, this Baltimore team was all about going into, you know, going into the playoffs. Yeah, they, uh, they kind of got back to what made Baltimore great. I mean, Baltimore has always been that defensive team, that smash mouth running team. Uh, and they got away from that for a number of years, actually, you know, trying to get Joe Flacco to throw the ball 50 times a game. 
uh, you know, try to win through the air, try to keep up with the rest of the league. And that's just not who Baltimore is. It's not how they're built. And, you know, as long as they stick with a, a run-heavy scheme, kind of switch it up a little bit, maybe use this short passing game as an extension of the run, uh, I think they'll do fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's going to be growing pains, obviously, with Lamar uh, and these, these wide receivers. But other than that, you know, they're doing something that the rest of the league isn't doing. And so far, it's worked. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and that's the key, isn't it, NFL? How many times have we seen over the years where, you know, someone's come, come in and done something new or someone new's come into the league as a, as a rookie and taken the, the, the league by storm and then as soon as you've got kind of a bit of tape on them, you can do a bit of studying. Um, I'm not going to say that they're going to hit the, the you know rookie walls, but um, certainly when once you've got a bit of tape out there for coaches to look at and, and utilise, similar to, obviously, one of the, the, the key ones was uh, the LA Chargers, obviously, in the playoffs compared to playing them a couple of weeks prior to that. Once you've kind of seen what they do, what they present uh, it becomes a little bit easier to to shut them down right yeah you drop us you drop six dbs on the defense <laughs> and you know more speed and and able to take better angles because of their size and all of a sudden those run lanes close up and you know that's the downside of baltimore not being built for a passing game because mm. they don't have a way around that they can't really switch it up especially with lamar's quote-unquote general accuracy mm. yeah and obviously another another issue with uh, Lamar Jackson was obviously his uh, ball security which uh, he'll need to improve in the offseason going into into 2019 so looking looking at the season as, as a whole uh, I know you, you said you weren't a fan there of the Lamar, Jack, Lamar Jackson pick but uh, so there's, there's two, probably two parts to this question a did you do you think that the last season was a successful season considering what happened and kind of yeah all the the, the t- kind of turnover I, I suppose and, and then b going into into next season are you are you expecting at least the same results and in, in getting to the, the playoffs and you know the the wild card round, or you may be expecting you know, aspirations a bit higher? Well, that is a loaded question, isn't it? I uh, I am one of those fans who views anything less than a Super Bowl ring as a failure of a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's it's a big aspiration to have, but that's why they play the game. They play the game to win the Super Bowl, and as a fan. Uh, you know, and as somebody that covers the team, I expect them to fight for a Super Bowl every single year. Mm. As far as I don't know that I'd call this a successful season, um, simply because they didn't win the ring, and now they're going to have more holes going into 2019. Mm. Um, I don't know that I expect the same thing from 2019 yet. Uh, there's too many question marks. I mean, is Eric Weddle staying? Is Marshall Yonda going to retire? Uh, Terrell Suggs, C.J. Mosley, uh, Zadarius Smith. You got to figure out the wide receiver situation again. Um, you know, you're only going to have two tight ends still on the roster uh, once the new league season starts. Same with the running backs. You're only going to have Gus Edwards and Kenneth Dixon. So there's a lot of holes to fill. Um, there's the offensive line is is garbage at the center and left guard position that needs to be filled. Uh, you got to hope that Lamar Jackson improves. So uh, as of right now. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to go eight and eight. It wouldn't surprise me to go eleven and five. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you bring, you bring up obviously the defense there as well. Yeah, C.J. Mosley, uh, Terrell Suggs, and say um, Zadarius Smith—they're they're all kind of contracts to sort out in the offseason. This is a the defense that was second in points allowed, second in first downs allowed, and first in total yards. So um, it kind of goes hand in hand with the, the the offense that the Baltimore Ravens kind of went with it towards the second half of the of the season. You, you you noted obviously a lot of a lot of holes there to, to fill. What would um, there's probably an easy answer here, but what's the what's the biggest uh, area we need to address if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan in in the 2019 draft or free agency? 
I mean, offensive line is going to be huge. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't understate the importance, especially in a run-first scheme. You cannot understate the importance of an interior offensive line being your strength. Uh, but also, uh, I think you also have to address the free safety position with Eric Weddle, uh, potentially leaving this year, but definitely leaving next year. Uh, and then beyond that, obviously, wide receiver. Um, those would probably be my, my top three. I think... I think this deep this draft is so deep in the edge rusher position that they can wait on outside linebacker if they have to. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's that's fair enough. And you say we, you you mentioned there obviously about the wide receiving core there. John Brown's obviously a free agent. You said maybe Mike, yeah, you'd hope he goes back to Tampa Bay. You don't you don't see him returning uh, to Baltimore? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, mostly because his usage dropped off at such a high rate once Lamar Jackson became the quarterback. Yeah. Um, and you'll notice when Lamar takes it deep, he's looking for Mark Andrews. He's looking for the, the bigger guys. So you got to think that, you know, maybe Jaleel Scott plays a role there. Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, they get bigger roles. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially, you know, they draft Kelvin Harmon. Kelvin Harmon would be the perfect receiver uh, for Lamar Jackson to grow with. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that John Brown has a role in this offense anymore Mm. i think they need to kind of steer clear of the small speedy guys and and maybe go for someone bigger that that can get contested catches and has a big wingspan and and knows how to work himself open yeah no i think that's uh your your spot on there but let's talk about the uh the the, the coaching staff there john harbaugh like we mentioned at the top of the of the top of the segment that uh, obviously he's been extended now to to 2022 were you a bit surprised by that or you, you know where do you sit on the on the john harbaugh kind of fan fan scale uh i'm not a huge fan of john harbaugh um i think that he gets players to play for him he's definitely a player's coach he's very motivational um you know the troops kind of rallied around him uh, in the second half of last year and, and that was huge that was good to see um you know he is a he's the winning winningest coach in raven's history uh he's in the top five in many categories across the nfl uh including tenure so i'm not completely upset that they kept him uh i think the general feel was that if he didn't make the postseason he was gone um, but I also think that, you know, when the Ravens made that statement before the first Chargers game and said, hey, we're keeping John Harbaugh through 2019. At that point, I expected them to to do some type of four year deal that kind of gives them an out. Uh, you know, if the whole thing goes to hell, uh, they'll still be able to get out of the contract and move on from John Harbaugh. Um, I do like the fact that Eric DaCosta, the new GM, kind of seems to be taking some power away from Harbaugh. You know, uh, forcing Marty Morningwega out, uh, putting Greg Roman as the offensive coordinator, maybe taking away some of Harbaugh's veto power during the draft. Uh, so hopefully we can get a little bit more attitude in the players uh, as opposed to players that will just kind of sit down and shut up and do whatever Harbaugh tells them. So I, I'm kind of torn right down the middle. I, I recognize that he has done great things with a team that has largely been in flux since 2012. Uh, you know, he's kept them competitive at least. The other side of that is I have a lot of issues with, you know, his time management, uh, you know, his choices of challenges, the personnel decisions, things like that. Yeah. And when talk, talking of personnel as well, literally in the last couple of minutes, uh, Joe Flacco has been uh, traded to the Denver Broncos. What, what did you make of uh, that? And were you, were you a Joe Flacco fan? I was a Joe Flacco fan. I was not a Joe Flacco stan. Um, I willingly ripped him apart uh, for incompletions and for making dumb decisions and turnovers and things like that. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys that thinks Flacco was elite. 
Um, I I try to call out the players on on their faults whenever I can because I don't like being labeled a homer. Um, however, I think Denver is the perfect fit for him. I listed Denver as one of the the possible places he could go, uh, especially when they said they were bringing back Kubiak. Uh, even though Kubiak left, I said, well, I think he can still go there. John Elway loves his big, tall, prototypical pocket passer QBs. Joe Flacco fits that mold. And, I mean, let's face facts, Flacco in his career has thrown like seven or eight touchdowns to two interceptions against Denver. Um, you know, he has one win plus a mile-high miracle uh, in the postseason. Uh, it just made sense for Flacco to go somewhere where the air is thinner. They can take advantage of his big arm. Um, you know, if they build an offensive line in Denver, then I think you'll rec- you'll see Flacco kind of have an uptick in his production. Uh, the problem with Joe was that Baltimore never really built a team around him. Uh, I mean, they did in 2012. He kind of had a little good offense there. Uh, but beyond that, after 2012 happened and the team kind of fell apart, they they never gave him decent weapons. They didn't really give him a good offensive line. And like I said earlier, I mean, they kind of strayed from their offensive identity and they tried to make him pass the ball 40, 45, 50, 60 times a game. And that's just not who Joe Flacco is. You're not going to win that way. So I think it was a good trade regardless of what the return is. I know they're talking about a mid-round pick, and I, I think that seems accurate for him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, totally agree with that as well. Just before we get you out on this, we get, obviously the AFC North is um, one of the, the more fiercely contested um, divisions uh, in the NFL. What what do the Baltimore Ravens need to do to, to stay atop of the AFC North next season? And who who are the main protagonists in terms of contenders? I think, and this is, I mean, this is, sounds wild with them being who they are, but I think the Browns are the main contender next year. Um, you know, Pittsburgh seems to be kind of falling apart. You know, AB sounds like he's on his way out. There's not going to be any more levy on Bell. Uh, they have a lot of work to do on their defense. Um, I, I think kind of things are just kind of falling apart for them. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them end up in third place and then either the Browns or the Ravens on top. Uh, I mean, the Ravens got to keep their defense stout. They have to, uh, they have to get Lamar Jackson in a better place with the passing game. Uh, and I, they have to add offensive threats. You got to have a playmaking running back, and you got to add at least one playmaking wide receiver uh, to go along with Hayden Hurst and, and Mark Andrews. Uh, you know, and then I think maybe, like I said earlier, change the offensive scheme a little bit. Uh, you know, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, but let Lamar Jackson do what he's good at: short passes, use the extension of the running game. Every once in a while, you know, Mark Andrews bowls someone over, go ahead and take that deep shot, let Mark Andrews get a 68-yard touchdown, call it good. Mm. Uh, you know, some of the better teams in this league, like the Patriots, they win on a dink and dunk offense, mm. and I think that might be what makes Lamar Jackson more comfortable. Mm. Yeah, and obviously uh, you, your words there about Pittsburgh falling apart, that must be uh, music to your ears. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm here for every single bit of it. I retweet and talk about Every single thing that happens in Pittsburgh that's negative because it, it makes my little heart happy. <laughs> uh, well, I, I hope you get to, to enjoy reveling that in the for maybe for the next couple of years and uh, maybe the, the, the Steelers say we'll be on the come down now maybe for a couple of years and it's a different, a different team now to, to maybe take over the North. But I'll let, I'll let you enjoy, uh, for however long that lasts, I'll let, I'll let you enjoy that. But Michael, thank you so much for joining us to talk Ravens. Yeah, I appreciate the ask, man. Uh, anytime you want me back on, just let me know.
Next up on the AFC North is the Pittsburgh Steelers, 9-6-1 record. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, there's always a lot to unravel, and this season was no different. And to break it all down for us, we have James Hanmore, uh, who can be found on Twitter at DFF underscore James H, a previous uh, visitor on the podcast as well. James, welcome back in. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, we're very well, thank you. Very well. Uh, ready to, to unpick the uh, Pittsburgh season, which was uh, you know, quite interesting, shall we say, uh, for, for a multitude of reasons. No, none more so than, than uh, Le'Veon Bell deciding to, to miss out the season. And I say the news coming out today that they're not going to they're not gonna do anything in terms of tagging him. So he's going to be a, a, a free agent going into the 2019 off-season free agency. But 2018, James, um, it's, it's fair to say it was nothing more than, a, you know, it was a circus, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just a classic Mike Tomlin season. Um, the one games they shouldn't have won, lost games they shouldn't have lost. Yeah, I mean they, they certainly have uh, they, they, they have a history, don't they? You know, Oakland was the game this year that, that springs to mind, but they always have a have a, a stinker of an away game in them within within the season. But even you know even to their expectations, you know they got to seven two and one uh, at one point in the season after a bad a bad start one two and one. Um, and then somehow from seven two and one, somehow missed the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, to to miss a playoff, miss the playoffs with a team that they had. I mean, you could compare it to the Chiefs in a way where they had one major weakness. I mean, the offense was good, the offensive line was good, defensive line was good, linebackers did well, and it was just the secondary that let them down. You look at the Chiefs; they they had that weak spot as well, and they they went far. Yeah, and I mean, his coaching, I think. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised he's he's kind of still there, but yeah, with, with the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and the talent that on that off- on that offense is, you know, the, the expectation is always going to be sky high. You know, the, the, it's probably similar to to the Green Bay Packers in the NFC, um, in in the sense that they, you know, the, the fans especially expect them to make deep playoff runs every every year, and they, they have the talent to do so. Um, you know, they're not quite the defense that they were a, a couple of years ago, but. Um, you know, even from the start, Levin Bell holding out and um, you know going on to not even play a snap for them this season. Um, at least the one glimmer of hope is that James Connor stepped in uh, admirably, admirably well and, and showed that, that he can do a job as well. Yeah, I mean it's nothing against Connor, but I think any any NFL standard running back would run well behind the offensive line because it is mm. it's good. It's a good run blocking line. Mm. Um, it's nothing against Connor. I think he's a really good player, but. Bell's, Bell's definitely better, whatever any Pittsburgh fan tells you. And um, he, he was definitely missed last year, just in the air mainly. Yeah, absolutely. Taking a look at James Conner, obviously it's his second year, he was drafted um, a couple of years ago by the Steelers. Rush it on the, on the ground, 215 carries, 973 yards and 12 touchdowns, 4.5 uh, per carry there. Uh, and through the air, 55 receptions for 497 yards. So not a, I think, well, the one touchdown as well through the air, but not not a uh, not a bad season at all. But say the offensive line uh, purely you know, giving him a helping hand there. Is that potentially the production that James Conner was given? Was that why the Steelers didn't perhaps pursue Le'Veon Bell and beg Le'Veon Bell so much to, to come and, and sign and or you know, put a big contract in front of his nose? I mean, they did put a big contract in front of his nose, which wasn't big enough for him. Mm. You know, he wants to be the highest paid. But I'm, I'm a strong believer of you take, you take a bit less if you want to win championships. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really something that obviously the Patriots are, are well well drilled in. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, so obviously, let, let, let's unpick a few more a, f- a few more games of the season. Let's like, say the the, uh, the Oakland lost was uh, was the, the type of game that they always tend to tend to throw in, and of course that was the game where Big Ben kind of threw his little rib his rib drama in. Um, Tomlin obviously in the Steelers having a history of, of playing down to, to certain teams two and four in the last six you know, at Denver versus the Chargers obviously that was the uh, the big game there at Oakland and at, at New Orleans who you know you don't begrudge a loss uh, in the, the, the Mercedes-Benz Dome there but you know they, they, that Denver game especially and even the Oakland game that they those two just shouldn't be games the Pittsburgh Steelers are losing regardless if they're a home or away I don't know Denver on the road isn't I mean, it's it's not the most difficult by any stretch, but it's definitely not an easy game. But I mean, the Oakland game was just, you know, every team, right down to the Patriots losing against the Lions, had a had a big loss to a poor team. But no no real playoff contender should should have lost to that Oakland team this year. They were awful. No, no, that's fair enough. And I say, I think there's quite an interesting stat as well from from the Pittsburgh games this season. They had eight games of 20, 28 plus points, and but six games of twenty one or less. So, kind of just shows you that the, the hot and cold under under Tomlin in 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 2018. Yeah, absolutely. He's, you know, I've always I've always been a fan, and I'll, I'll always stick up for Tomlin. But I think this year it really it really was noticeable that he's completely. Got no idea how to manage a team. Mm-hmm. It tactically, yeah, okay, he works well, but when it comes to player management, he just he doesn't seem to know what he's doing. No, and so are you, are you surprised that he wasn't in in much more of a hot seat than than he is because you know he didn't really get too many rumours flying around that you know he's he, he's he's under under fire or you know he, he's in danger of losing his job so much that maybe then some some other coaches. Are you surprised that he's returning next season? Uh, no, no. I, I I wouldn't want him to, but I I think he's got a good relationship with the Roonies, mm. and I, I don't think they'll look. It, it takes something spectacularly bad to for them to just drop and get it. Because mm. yes. Pittsburgh are known for longevity with coaches, aren't they? I mean, they've they've had what three in the last fifty years or something ridiculous. Mm. So, so from from your from your point of view, then obviously you say you didn't you don't want him back. What what would it take for for Mike Tomlin to to be fired or to to leave? What in my eyes? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I would have gone. I mean, he's he's managed to take you know the three Bs, if you like, and completely alienate two of them to the point of leaving. I mean, what I don't know what was going on with Brown for that week seventeen game, whether he was out or not. Nobody ever will know, but. Why? Why he's not playing? I don't know. So, if you, if you're the Roonies, then what? 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 Does, what I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not saying that Mike Tomlin is trying to get himself fired, but what would it take for the for the Roonies to think, okay, maybe we need to go in a, in a different direction here? I mean, you could argue free agency and not really doing anything, but again, that, that doesn't always go with the coach, does it? That comes down to the GM mm. and even the, the owners themselves. Mm. So, I mean. It, Pre-season means nothing to me. Um, if we go 0-3 next year, to be honest, I'd be press, pressing the panic button early. Mm. Yeah. Because the, well, I mean, the window's closing. And, uh, you know, you've got Loughlisberger there, you've got your good offensive line. But the window's closing quickly with Loughlisberger mid-30s now. He's, he's ready to go, I think. 
Yeah, and obviously, you know, a season wouldn't be a Pittsburgh season, season without Big Ben uh, at some point in the season saying that he's uh, pondering retirement and then kind of backtracking <laughs> yeah, exactly. on it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get the same again in 2019. But one one bright spot uh, for the for the Pittsburgh season is James Washington. Um, he, he showed flashes in 2018. Is is he? Going to be able to step up in his second season, uh, you know, the second round pick from Oklahoma. Um, yeah, can can he? I know they're big boots to fill in terms of Antonio Brown, but you know, from what we saw last season, do you think he's able to 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 make the leap forward in the next year, year or two? Yeah, I mean, I, I liked him. I liked him in college, and, and I was I was of the belief that they they drafted him because they honestly believed that Rudolph might be the future, and obviously him and him and Rudolph had a good rapport at Oklahoma State. Mm. Yeah. So maybe it was he was brought in to to make him comfortable in the offense. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I think he should he should step in and he should do what Juju's done this year. Yeah, and let's let's have, let's have a quick word on Juju. Obviously, he um, he's performed very well uh, the seasons that he's been in the NFL, especially last season as well. When uh, you know Antonio Brown was wasn't there, or you know, so, you know there were there were some games where they went to Juju instead of Antonio Brown, and you know just showed that Juju's ready to also make kind of the leap into to that elite that elite status in the next couple of years. Absolutely, I mean, I'm interested to see how he does without Brown on the field more consistently because he's going to be the guy that takes the double teams, takes takes the the main guy on, on defense. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how he how he gets over that. And, Still performs, but I think he can. I think he's 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 a talented guy. He's and he's ultimately he's just a young lad playing his dream and enjoying every minute, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and I say, yeah, that's that's the key thing, enjoying enjoying what you're doing. And uh, Juju certainly seems to be having fun, and he always has a good uh, engagement with uh, with the fans and all that as well, doesn't he? With his with his celebrations and his uh, gaming, his gaming and that kind of stuff as well. So it's always good to have uh, fans on your side, especially because at some point you know it won't always go his way. But let's talk about obviously the other guy, the Antonio Brown. Um, like I say at the top of the top of the segment that he's, you know, Pittsburgh announced today they're not going to attack him. I know you, you, you. Is it kind of bittersweet in the sense that you're obviously he's meant a lot to to the franchise over the years and, and kind of carried and helped with with Big Ben, you know, getting to playoff runs and um, you know to deep in deep inside the postseason. Are you are you sad that he's going? What's the, what's kind of the, the main feeling coming out from from this Antonio Brown saga? I mean, any any Pittsburgh fan that says, "Oh, we'll be just as good without him," I mean, that's just a lie. It's a bit of a lie. You know, you don't you don't easily replace someone like that. I I do think that he's a product of Roethlisberger as far as he's as good as he is because of of Ben. So it will be interesting to see how he does when he goes to another team. Mm. Yeah. But he's, he's going to be a huge mess in the offense. Yeah, and what, what do you think he 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 opts for? Do you reckon he goes for money over Super Bowls? I think he'll go somewhere that's a bit more, a bit flashier. So, like a Miami or a San Fran, yeah. you know, where nice weather, beaches, or that. I think that's what he's he's there for. That, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say he's been, <coughs> some strange behaviour though. Last couple of weeks or so, just on like on social media and just what he's been saying and his actions. He's like the golden beard for a first start, and then all this Mister Big Chest stuff. I'm not quite sure uh, what that's all about. Yeah. What would you, you make of all that? Uh, it's upsetting in a way because it's made me agree with something that Stephen A. Smith said, <laughs> you which never, I, you never I, I generally try and avoid. Yeah, yeah. Just, just as far as Brown's concerned, just shut your mouth. You, yeah, you're harming yourself. Yeah. Like, the more you say, yeah. Because 
every time he tweets something or says something, he's he's putting another red flag on himself and he's lowering his own value, which is hurting Pittsburgh as well. Yeah, yeah, be interesting to see. How, obviously, he tweeted out saying that he had a, a good meeting there with with the Roonies, but it's interesting actually because you know he's, he's acting as if he's a free agent, but he's in, he's, in, he's actually got a lot of years left on 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 his contract. So um, yeah, be interesting to see how how it all kind kind of plays out. I don't really envisage it. Uh, ending happy stories for for all parties, but um, let's let's talk the off season because obviously you're going to have to replace someone like Antonio Brown uh, and Le'Veon Bell from last season. Uh, well, not necessarily Le'Veon Bell because you got James Conner, but in terms of off season needs in the draft or in free agency, where where do you think the Steelers are, are going to be looking to to strengthen first? What's the, what's the main focus? I think they've got to go corner. Um, it's not good. what they've got now isn't good enough. Um, it'd be kind of. I saw the rumour maybe about Bell potentially ending up at the Ravens. So I'd kind of like to see his, see Mosley end up as a free agent and Mosley take him because he'd make a great addition in the linebackers. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, there's some there's some really good secondary players in, um, on free agency this year. So it'd be, in, it'd be good if they, this is the year because Pittsburgh are notoriously quiet during mm. free agency. Yeah. So it'd be good to see him actually go for it this year and build a team. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned a bit a bit earlier that obviously the big the window for Big Ben is uh, is, is closing. Um, how, how many years do you reckon he, he's going to play left? That's anyone's guess. I mean, hopefully he knows that, doesn't he? <laughs> um, I, I I've got a horrible feeling he's going to play to the point where he starts to tarnish his legacy, if you like, where he starts underperforming and he leaves it a season too late. Mm. Yeah, it's, mm. it's it's anyone's guess, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, no, it's and I say every every season he always he always puts in there after a bad performance or a bad team performance, saying that he's you know he doesn't doesn't know if he's got it anymore. But uh, I'm sure he'll be treated to that again this season. So obviously, let's look at the AFC North as a whole then, from from a Pittsburgh Steelers perspective. You know, you've got Lamar Jackson over there in Baltimore, and you've got Baker Mayfield, some young quarterbacks there now in the AFC North. Um, is it a case of the the Steelers need to do something to to get back to the top, or do you think that they're the team the, the team to beat in 2019? To be honest, at the moment, it's 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 going to come back on me less badly. But I think I honestly think the Browns might be the team to beat this year. Mm. Yeah, so you know, I think I think the Ravens they they sort of limp their way to the playoffs, running what is in essence a college offense around Lamar Jackson. That that got found out very quickly by the Chargers, and I think other teams will follow suit and mm. force him to throw the ball when throwing isn't his strong suit. So I, I I just think the Ravens are going to expect more from him than they're going to get. Mm. Yeah, certainly an interesting storyline to to look at in 2019. So if you right now, you know, 20th of February, we are recording this. Are the Steelers going to the playoffs in 2019? Um, they should do, but I mean, they <laughs> they probably won't. Mm. I, I, it's like again. I don't like predicting these sort of things, but they. I think they should. On paper, they should. Mm. Their team's still good enough, and they've got they've got money now with letting Bell go. They've got money to strengthen it, mm. which they didn't really. Have. I mean, it's not much, but it's something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think they they should. It just I can't remember this game. I know they've got the, the parts again this year, so mm. that'll be another fun game. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I'm going to say they will. 
Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, maybe, maybe not as confident uh, this season as you maybe were, were heading into into twenty eighteen. But uh, James, thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk Pittsburgh season again. If you want to get in contact with uh, James, it's at dff underscore james h. Uh, and yeah, you uh, th- thanks for coming on, buddy. And we'll, we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, third up in the AFC North, and uh, I don't know if Cleveland fans may get a bit of vertigo being that high up in the division, but we're talking Cleveland Browns, everyone's favourite team going into 2019. But we're here to talk about the 2018 season as well, and to, to break it all down with us, we've got Chris, uh, Chris Goodwin from at UK underscore Browns and Sean Blundell for at all 32. Sean, fellas, we welcome you on to the podcast to talk Cleveland Browns. Chris, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you first, obviously, uh, judging by the Twitter handle, you are a big UK Browns fan. Um, interesting times for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I think about ten years, so it's uh, the age ten years in that time as well. So I probably feel about near a fourth and thirty. <laughs> but it's certainly interesting times. Yeah. Last two years, it's uh, starting to pick up, and it's amazing that a seven-win season for Cleveland Brown fans feels like a Super Bowl victory, such as we've been in recent years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Sean, obviously coming to you. Um, yeah, I mean, what what a difference a year makes. Uh, certainly, optimism. Uh, we were sort of cautiously optimistic heading into the start of last season, and obviously didn't get off to a great start. But obviously, mid-season changes proved to be very successful. Um, so, optimism now remains going into the off-season. We're always optimistic as Browns fans in the off-season. We're, we're, we've got as good a record as any, so we like to think we've got a chance. Mm. <laughs> Proof will be in the pudding when September rolls around, but certainly I think there's genuine reason for the optimism this time, not just blind. Hmm. Yeah, and Chris, obviously, before the season even started, uh, the Cleveland Browns had the uh, the pleasure of being the Hard Knocks team. What, what was it like, Sean, I'll get your thoughts shortly, but what was it like seeing your, your team on Hard Knocks? It was actually, it's the first time I've actually watched Hard Knocks and really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know if it's that entertaining every year and... Certainly a lot of people have said that the Browns were normal for it, such as the drug that is the Cleveland Browns, that it was a case of, right, what's happening, what's happening, let's get the notes. I'm really curious seeing how behind the scenes mm. it was, I mean, it's an amazing insight into a team and fractions sort of happening, which obviously played out later in the year, but I mean, great for any fan, and I mean, I'm now converted as a Hard Knocks fan, I guess, so <laughs> even more great fun. Yeah, I mean, it certainly helps when you've got uh, when it when it's obviously your team. But being a Dallas fan myself, um, certainly gives it an extra an extra flavour and bit of depth for you to, to kind of see what goes on behind the scenes. Um, Sean, any 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 anything surprise you from Hard Knocks at all? If you watched it, um, yeah, yeah, I definitely watched it. I think the the interesting for me and I watched a fair few series was some of the roster players that bubble. Um, it's quite interesting the ones that they seem to pick throughout the series, and I think. Of them ended up making Browns, uh, which was a little bit of a shame. Uh, obviously, I think one of the stars of the show was the tight end, Devin Kajus, to make his way onto the roster. A uh, little who did hardly play the snap all year, but we'll probably get onto that in a little while. Um, so, really interesting to see. I think you know it certainly adds an element to it when it is your own. Um, I'm not going to you know deny it was more enjoyable watching, knowing it was you know the team that I supported being featured. Uh, but I think Hard Knocks has got an excellent place within NFL. Uh, I certainly think it's an entertaining series. I think there's a couple of franchises that would be really interesting to get a So, you know, long may it continue. It's great insight into how these franchises operate. Yeah. 
And yeah, so obviously coming into the season, and you could see from from Hard Knocks as well that the the style of the show was was always going to be Baker Mayf- Mayfield, wasn't it? Um, but the, the signs were there, weren't they, from for the Cleveland Browns, uh, Chris? That you know, week one tied against uh, Pittsburgh, and then week two, you know, if Kane Gonzalez can can kick a can kick a field goal or an extra point, maybe they come away with a win there in New Orleans. But um, yeah, it, it took till week three for for Baker to come in due to Tyrod, um, obviously the injury. Were you from from weeks one and two, and obviously when uh, to the point where Baker Mayfield come in? Did you think that this season was going to be something uh, obviously a bit more special than the previous? The, you know, is there something here that, that could be uh, a good thing? I mean, I guess my own opinion goes back to the pre-draft. I was saying I wanted uh, Baker Mayfield, and I think I was one of the only ones really saying it. Uh, so the moment they drafted him, I was excited, and then when they said they were going to bench Tyrod Taylor, quite durable, he'll probably stay in, and. The first few games, you're sort of watching Tyrod and going, eh, all right, he's drawable, but he's boring. So the chance that, and as soon as he came, goes down and gets some points on the board and when you're you something like, well, crap, now that it's here, future, it's here throughout the year, that was, this is the best quarterback player I've ever seen from a Cleveland Browns quarterback. Obviously, I'm young and fandom still compared to a lot of the older heads, but it, it's made such a difference, really. It really is an exciting time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's fair to say that he's already achieved more than maybe Johnny Manziel, Brandon Whedon, and Brady Quinn probably all put together. <laughs> to be honest, but uh, yeah. Hey, um, we we didn't got stuck under that American flag, let <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and so that's obviously yeah, Baker Mayfield led the the Browns, uh, Sean, to to the first win in, in week three there on on Thursday night football, um, and then I say that the Baker Express kind of kind of it kind of took off, didn't it? No, it, it certainly did. I think you know, I was one of the more you know, let the kids sort of sit and, and watch and coming in and getting burnt too early. But obvious from that, you know, half a game cameo that he came in against the Jets that, that this was a different animal that we were talking about. He said he, he didn't look panicked, he didn't look flustered, he, he, he didn't look like a rookie and that was the really encouraging thing. Um, and he would go from, from strength to strength, certainly down the stretch of the season and after the coaching changes that I alluded to. Um from the moment that he stepped on the field, he certainly wasn't going to relinquish that job. Mm. Um, interesting, though, you alluded to it yourself there. You know, we were two Gonzalez goals away from actually starting the year with a 2-0 and record. And it's funny how these things play out, because had that 2-0 record been in place, you know, potentially would would Hugh Jackson have ended up getting, you know, kicked you know, halfway through the season. They're all hypotheticals that we'll never know. Yeah. You feel like small margins. I always felt the Browns were improving even at the start of the season despite the, the better play coming towards the back end in terms of production that Mayfield put on tape. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a good point. Obviously, Hugh Jackson made it to two week nine, <laughs> two week nine um, with a 2-5-1 and one record. But yeah, um, once, once kind of Hugh Jackson left, uh, Freddie Kitchens kind of took over and the, the kind of the, the stabilisers came off uh, for, for Baker Mayfield, Chris, and you got to see what he was all about. Yeah, uh, for me, it was too... Nine weeks too long for a few Jackson. He should have gone again last year, and it was so nice. It was almost like a basic play calling. Right, what what are the players like? What's what are they good at? What do you want to do? And that was sort of the approach Freddie Kitchens took, and almost like back to basics. And it was just so refreshing and so brilliant. And the fear, like the fear, had been lifted. No one, no one had any fear. They're all saying, "All right, time to play ball. Let's go." 
what we can and Baker Mayfield was leading by example in that. Yeah, and it's obviously Hugh Jackson leaving with the uh, the, the great record of 3-36-1 there with the Browns, 11-44-1 overall. <laughs> but obviously that wasn't the last time that the Browns were to see Hugh Jackson uh, Obviously, late, later in the year, and, and two two of the highlights, I suppose, of the Brown season, uh, Sean, is you know week twelve, Demarius Randall handing the ball over to Hugh, not having an absolute cl- absolute clue whatsoever what was going on, uh, what was actually kind of going on, and then obviously week sixteen, um, Baker unceremoniously um, with an, a, a, yeah, a shot to Hugh um, and calling him things all under the sun, obviously leading up to that as well, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I felt a bit sad for Hugh towards the end of the season, I suppose. But you know, he, this guy, this guy is not an NFL head coach, and uh, I, don't, I don't know whether he went to the Browns or what his motives were for doing that. But you just, you surely, you can't be doing something like that when you're going to another team in the same division. Um, I think he relationship with the Bengal, you know, rightly or wrong, he obviously took the opportunity, and you know, as it turned out through the coaching and the offices else, so he felt his best opportunity was back with the Bengals. I think those two games against the Bengals, I think you know there was a lot made about the Brown having been for such a long time. If you take that, it's been an awful time since we've even competitive and uh, sort of handed, you know, since the a big defeat in their own backyard performance for me was probably our best overall performance of the season. Certainly offensively, it felt like every time we touched the ball, we were going to score. Um, you know, I think that that's the infamous Baker waking up feeling dangerous week um, that he came <laughs> out in the media with that comment. Um, and like you said, Demarius Randall had a, you know, I, I think he had a stellar season, um, and I think he had a real good attitude that had been missing previously. Uh, it was literally arm's length from you, and and you know he was, he's that kind of character. That was always what he was going to do. But you know, like I say, really, really good. You could see that changing culture as much as anything else in these guys. Um, and long may it continue because I certainly think with Bake, you. Uh, and his leadership qualities that he's shown, you know, it definitely is, as I alluded to earlier, not just blind faith, I think there's a new reason for optimism. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the, the question will always be put, you know, and we mentioned a bit earlier, Chris, if if Hugh Jackson wasn't there at the start of the season, would the Browns maybe made the playoffs? But in in, in a certain way, you, you kind of think Hugh, Hugh needed to be there for a couple of weeks to, to continue pulling the Browns down to then kind of pull that motivation out of the bag. You kind of think if Hugh Jackson went during the off-season and I'm not saying Freddie Kitchens would have taken over, but if it, the, the momentum almost kind of would have been totally different. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of think in a way it was it was a good thing that Hugh Jackson was there for the first couple of weeks of the season, just so that you you had that that motivation and that carrot in you know, especially for Baker Mayfield uh, and maybe some other players there. What would you what do you reckon if if Hugh Jackson wasn't there at the start of the season? Do you reckon the the Browns make the playoffs? That's well, interesting, really, because obviously said I wouldn't have wanted him there, but. Would the Browns have had the simplicity and the the basic play calling of Freddie Kitchens? To put it, I mean, that's probably disrespecting Freddie Kitchens, but would they have had that without him, or would we have had another hot shot coordinator come in and change things up completely? Would it have been successful? We'll never know. Um, so, would the Browns make the playoffs? Possibly, but you never know who would have taken that job, who would have come in. I mean, realistically, who would have wanted to go into a team of zero games in a year? why they stuck with you and I mean perhaps try to make it work I think we've been very lucky that we've had someone in-house in the way mm. who's now got his own chance to be there yeah. and I think I mean we've not mentioned his name yet but Greg Williams what a job that guy did over mm. the back half of the season being the head coach and almost sort of leading by example and installing that fire and I think Baker and Greg Williams perhaps share that 
trait as a person, the, the always writing a story against them sales to to motivate themselves and i think that's where baker gets a lot of his most from he always wants to play himself as the underdog and i mean i'm all for it as long as he keeps winning games yeah no absolutely and say uh, how it's it's panned out i suppose as a browns fan sean you probably you wouldn't change one thing but i just want to move on to the um another position that kind of changed throughout the the last season was that the running back position obviously carlos hyde um was there duke johnson and uh, they drafted nick chubb um, in the in the in the draft as well, and they they moved on from Hyde and, and went to Chubb, uh, and obviously we, yeah, the, the time of recording, obviously we we can talk about Kareem Hunt as well. But um, were you surprised that they moved on from Carlos Hyde, uh, considering when they got him and what they got him for? Um, and and furthermore to that, are you surprised that Kareem Hunt is now in that muddy in that backfield? Uh, I was surprised at the time. You know, if you actually look at what Hyde did, you know, he was relatively pedestrian in terms of his yards per carry. I think he was sort of around the three and a half mark, but, you know, he's a terrible addition to the side. He did several touchdowns. I think he had sort of five touchdowns in the games that he was with the job. Um, limited carries. He, he, he burst onto the scene with, with essentially, I think, a three carry, 150 yard, two touchdown performance against the of that ilk. Yeah. Um, and you could tell then that he, he was an home run hitter. Um, Every week in press conferences, the, the talk was we need to get this guy more carries and the game would come and go and he would still only end up with one or carries. Um, I think ultimately that's why that move on from Hyde. I think it was as much as anything the front office saying, you know, this guy needs to get on the field and talk ball on a more regular basis. Um, the addition of Kareem Hunt, I think, you know, let's talk about the football side of it. I don't think you can ever have enough good players. Kareem, the football player, he's a superb footballer. Production since entering the league has been first class. The Chiefs certainly didn't look the same threat without him. All their other weapons, a notable down in their running game, um, and the reaction was was you know well about the same problem again. We've got Chubb, we've got Johnson. Now we're going to add another. I think if you look at the offense when Hitchens took over, he deployed the wishbone on a few okay three running backs in the backfield at the same time, and all three of those running back the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Duke is actually quite a good runner. A lot of carries and a lot of opportunities, but he's actually quite elusive. Yeah. So, um, get handed the rock. He, he can he can yeah. yards. So I think I think it's a good trifecta backfield and, and certainly, you know, obviously I think there's gonna be a long suspension. So I think, you know, hunt half the season at best. Um but if he, he's good and he's on it, uh, from a football perspective, I think it's, you know, very low risk essentially. Yeah, I mean, Chris, um, you know, without delving into it too much, obviously John Dorsey knows all about Kareem Hunt, drafted him when he was the over there at the Kansas City Chiefs, so you can understand why he's probably gone, he knows all about him, and, um, you know, it's not as if they've, they've tied him into a massive deal, is it, like one year, one million pounds, so even if it doesn't work out, what, what, what have you got to lose? You can cut him and, and not take too much of a hit. But, you know, if it turns to that he works out and, say, another team, let's say, you know, all New Orleans are having Kamara goes down, you could, you've immediately there got a, a trade asset. So maybe, you know, John Dorsey's not just thinking about maybe the production on field, but just the, the kind of an asset side of you, the, the, the upside that Kareem Hunt could bring once you've taken that PR hit. No, it's, it's good. Obviously, what he's done is terrible and expecting him to be for at least half the season. I think as any sane person like to see him banned. Uh, but for the Browns to add talent at any position is always a bonus. The Browns would have been stupid not to continue. And Dorsey knows him better than anyone else. He's the man who drafted him, like touched on. So it's not a bad thing. Mm. And actually, I, I 
don't know if Browns are as good at running back as a lot of people think. So Nick Chubb I would really like, but I think if you can improve a position, then it's always a good thing. No, that's fair. And then say with one the other the other side of it, we've got the wide receivers as well. Not really too much apart from Jarvis Landry that that many people will be drafting on on fantasy teams maybe next season unless it's maybe a lay out flyer. But you know, looking towards in twenty nineteen. Uh, Sean, are we expecting anything from a skill position-wise to be drafted by the Browns, or are we is it kind of more depth for for the lines uh, and maybe a bit more on defense? Or where, where do you see the, the Browns improving in the off season? Uh, I certainly think receiver is a position that they will address. I think, like you say, Land, yeah, he's obviously the head of that room. There's a couple of nice pieces in there. I think Rashad Higgins has improved a lot, um, but he, he's certainly a player that's ascending. Perryman did a real nice job when we picked him up from the Ravens. Um, you know, he some real good production towards the back end of the season. Players to to look out there are to take a leap forward. I, I would certainly expect them to address receiver. Whether it's talk of, of Terrell Williams, my fear with him is he will be paid like a number one. In my view, only a number two. I would imagine they will address it through the draft. I also think they'll be looking for for offensive tackle. Certainly a left sided tackle. Grayson came in and did a decent enough job, um, and he he certainly provides depth try and find the heir apparent to Joe Thomas, which, you know, is mission impossible. Um, but I certainly think they'll look to get in that area. And, and I would also imagine that they'll be looking to add a cornerback as well, opposite Denzel Ward. Um, Ward had a couple of concussions, which is always worrying for a young professional. As well. So I would expect them to look for depth at the cornerback position. So it's anything on the outside for both sides of the ball. And uh, like so, up front in the trenches would be where I would be looking to um, increase. Mm. Okay, and then just uh, Chris, we will sign off with you. So obviously, looking ahead to twenty nineteen, what, what's the, what's the target for Freddie Kitchens and, and the Browns? I, I assume it will be a a playoff berth. The playoffs have to be the target. I think any franchise should always be looking um, to the playoffs. Um, but I mean, the Ravens, what do they do? It's it's going to be a tough division. But the playoffs have to be the target. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And say so even if it's just a one and done situation, yeah, at this point, if you either said that to the Brown the Browns fans this time last year, they they would have bitten your hand off, wouldn't they? But um yeah, exciting times ahead for the Browns and like I say, um it'd be interesting to see the Baker Mayfield Lamar Jackson uh, rivalry over the next couple of years, certainly if not for maybe a bit longer. But gents, uh, thank you so much for joining us to to talk Browns and I I hope you thoroughly enjoy uh, the good times ahead. Thanks for honest, Tim. Okay, time to talk Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals uh, for this segment of the podcast and to help us break it all down uh, the season for the Bengals is Jamie Rowe who can be found on Twitter at TreyQuartBeaster. Uh, he's part of the Bengals UK uh, group if you like and uh, organised all the meetups there in the north. Uh, Jamie, we're welcoming you on to the Full 10 Yards podcast. How are you doing on this fine evening? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I went out for a birthday do yesterday so I spent most of today recovering from it. <laughs> and uh, have you recovered from the Bengal season yet? Oh no, not at all. Um, it's still kind of I, I, it's almost half a, a period of mourning and half of it just being thankful the entire thing's over and we can move <laughs> on from. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So we're gonna break it all down again. A bit of a funny season, really. Six and ten, uh, fourth in the north, as as it were. Um, but actually, had got off to a really hot start. Uh, started off four and one uh, win versus Baltimore, where Andy Dalton got hot. Tossing three uh, AJ Green touchdowns, I think, in the first half, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, so, you know, going into the season, what, what was your expectation from your point of view uh, in terms of what the, you know, the, the barometer for success? Well, uh, generally, we've had a lot of talk with people 
and we've asked them how how do you think it's going to go um they were saying usually between about seven and nine and nine and seven um kind of one of the middle of the pack teams obviously we will never think that we're contenders um i think a lot of things will have to change before that mm. ever becomes a, a fact but we we were expecting mediocrity and they kind of fell a bit short of that even mm. Yeah, and I say injury injury had a bit of a, a, a part to play in that. And I say, I think uh, going into next season, there will be change coming as well. And we'll get onto that in a little bit. But week 12 versus Cleveland, Andy Dalton, obviously that his season ended at that point, uh, torn thumb ligaments. Uh, and that was in the midst of, of a five-game losing streak as well. Uh, I think that was the third of five games in which, uh, which yeah, Andy Dalton come out. So in came Jeff, uh, Jeff Driscoll. And let's not forget as well, Joe Mixon was injured, I think, weeks three and four. But uh, back to Jeff Driscoll. He came in, did okay, but didn't really get him to do too much, did they? His yards per attempt only at 5.7. What did you what did you make of the quarterback position? Uh, we'll come to Andy Dalton uh, a bit more shortly, but Jeff Driscoll, uh, what, what did you make of him? Because he wasn't really asked to do a lot. No, he wasn't asked to do a lot. And, and I, to be honest, I think part of that was talent. He's got a good arm, but he falls apart in the pocket. He can't deal with pressure. Um, he's quite inaccurate. Um, what one thing he did have was he's very mobile, he's very quick, and he can get a lot of yards with his legs. Yeah, but yeah. it seemed that um, the offensive coordinator just moved away from that as a concept. I would have had something more like what Baltimore were doing with with Lamar Jackson, um, where you acknowledge that maybe they they are limited as a passer, but with the legs that they, they can um, they can succeed a bit more. Mm. Yeah, and I say would you, probably be. Yeah, it's a bit funny one to try and break down what Jeff Driscoll did during the season because you know no no AJ Green for a long while. Um, Tyler Boyd's uh, had an injury for a couple of games, and uh, John Ross was also in and out of the lineup. So I suppose it's unfair to to kind of evaluate what Jeff Driscoll did, but um, more to more so to Andy Dalton, who's obviously he's been a, a stay stay in that offense just like Marvin Lewis but um you know Andrew Gregory Dalton aka the Red Rifle how how important is he to the the Cincinnati Bengals um and I say that he's 30, he's 31 years old he's got a contract that's very team friendly if you like um 16 million or so 16 million or, or so uh, over the next couple of years uh, each year uh, 16th highest paid quarterback is is he the answer going forward now that Marvin Lewis has gone, and again, we'll touch on that shortly, or should they maybe look elsewhere? Is it Andy Dalton or is there is the grass green on the other side? I, I think uh, Dalton is a, is replaceable, and I, if the right guy came along, you'd look at it and think, actually, maybe we can move on there. There's been a couple of opportunities where they've had the ability to draft someone who I thought was better. So uh, Teddy Bridgewater was one of them, Lamar Jackson was another. Um, the Bengals didn't go for that at that point, but maybe if they are trying to uh, clean house a bit more, maybe Dalton's name comes up. Now, one thing that's been spoken about in Bengals circles is um, the possibility of trading Dalton to somewhere where they need that kind of stopgap quarterback. They think possibly getting him over to Washington, where Jay Gruden's um, obviously been Bengals coach before and and um, he's he's got an existing relationship with Andy, mm. and if we can maybe scan a team out of a, a out of a high draft pick for him, mm. um, it could be worth moving on. Yeah, I mean it's quite it's quite a, a good one that you could probably debate for hours. Say Andy Dalton's been there for years as as Marvin Lewis, but I, th- I think it's just a case of you know you either take the plunge or you don't. You you, you have to commit either way. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what Zach Taylor uh, when when he comes in. 
uh, what he will, will kind of decide because I say it's all it's all on on them and the coaching staff. And Marvin Lewis maybe was an Andy Dalton guy, but I think there would be a market for Andy Dalton considering the rest of the uh, you know the free agency class and the quarterback class in the draft uh, not being maybe as great as as last year's. Um, but yeah, I, I, I suppose. At the end of the day, I think you're you're a run first team, aren't you? With with some weapons uh, in the wide receiving game, and so that's mainly down to Joe Mixon. But the 2018 season, from Bengals' perspective, 24th in yards per game, 17th on points. So, like you say, just just on the on the cusp there of you know, mid middle of the pack. Um, yeah. Joe, Joe Mixon though was one one of the shining stars of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And and as the um, injuries took hold in the passing game with, with Dalton out and Green out, um, they leaned heavily on the run. And Mixon is a premium talent. He's absolutely, um, you know, the, the, the guy to take us forward. Um, he's one of the best in the league, but obviously he's had a bit of a dodgy pass, which um, turned a lot of teams off him. Um, but he's, he's always been part of the Bengals tradition that we take chances on possibly some of the, the less um, less liked characters in the league. Mm. Yeah, but uh, it's certainly a lot to like with what he did on the field this season. 13 games, 11, uh, 11 and six, 1,168 yards uh, and eight touchdowns. Only one of three AFC uh, rushes to you know, eclipse that 1,000-yard rushing mark. Uh, he was actually fourth overall in rush yards, uh, averaging 4.9 per carry. And had half of his games were over a hundred, uh, hundred scrimmage yards as well. And you, you can't really ask for much more than that. That production. Absolutely not. No. Okay, so obviously the big news over the after the season ha- had finished. Uh, Marvin Lewis um, was relieved of his duties. Shall we say he was has left and left leaves the Cincinnati Bengals uh, franchise with a record of one hundred thirty one wins, one hundred twenty two losses, and three ties as well. But uh, I, I suppose. From a Bengals point of view, you'll you'll look at the stat of zero seven in the playoffs. Yeah, and and that's always been something that's that's come up for him, and it's a love hate relationship with Marvin. Everyone kind of recognises that he's a really really nice guy. He's a fantastic person to have around the city. Um, he does an awful lot for Cincinnati, but as a head coach, there were a lot of things that weren't right and. Perhaps he was a little too easy on some of the more um, some of the more difficult personalities in, in the team. Um, also, some of his game time decisions weren't quite right. He, he would do some strange things, but uh, evidently he's been there for sixteen years. It's going to be very strange um, to to move on to a world where he's not there. Mm, absolutely. What did what did you make of uh, the hiring of uh, Hugh Jackson from the season? Oh, it's a very strange one. Um, Hugh had a lot of success as an assistant coach uh, with the Bengals, but I think they were hiring him to see what he could do in a head coaching capacity. And if, I mean, if the team had managed to sort of miraculously turn around at the point that Hugh came in as his sort of special um, assistant to the head coach role or whatever it was to, to get around the various NFL rules um, about hiring people after they've been fired. I don't know. The, the, he had really badly sullied his reputation with what had gone on in Cleveland and a lot of people had found him very difficult to work with um, in Cleveland and that set alarm bells off that mm. maybe they were bringing him, him in to be head coach. 
obviously that's not happened now and I think it's probably for the best that it's not happened there's been a clean break from um, the Marvin era I think they've got rid of all but three coaches Mm. um, from the entire organisation when Marvin's gone yeah, I mean, it probably haunt Bengals fans for for a while there with uh, you know the two games versus Cleveland. Uh, Hugh Jackson, obviously, you know the players at Cleveland uh, kind of sticking it to him a little bit, kind of uh, took distraction. It was a bit of a distraction, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, and say Hugh Hugh Jackson's coaching record is not one for the uh, Hall of Fame, shall we say? But let's move on to to Zach Taylor then. Obviously, coming from the Rams, QB's coach in LA, and before that, Miami as well, and it spent a bit of time there in college. Not the 12th president of the USA either. Let's not get uh, mixed up with that. But um, what, what 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 will he bring over from the Rams? And what what kind of we will it be weird with no Marvin there? I mean, it will be strange with no Marvin. Um, I think the thing that it's it's always that kind of baleful stare after something's gone wrong, and I think that's going to be the the enduring um, image of Marvin Lewis when <laughs> when it has all gone to pot and he's just stood there kind of gawping like a salmon. Um, <laughs> Zach Taylor interests me. It is a bit of a bit of a fad pick. It's it's a bit kind of, it's the trendy thing to do to get someone who's young, someone who's uh, coming in from, from a big offence. And it could be read as, as, oh, we're just following a trend. Mm-hmm. And I hope it isn't like that. And I hope we have got the right guy to just kind of come in and clean sweep um, the organisation, which it, it definitely needs. Um, in terms of what I want to see from a football perspective, obviously the Rams are, are well known for their power running game. That's something I want us to concentrate on. If we can get Mixon going to the same extent that they have managed to get um, Anderson and, and Gurley going, that would be uh, incredible and that, that would be a really big push um, mm. towards us getting back to, to being a decent team again. Yeah, obviously, a new coach usually brings new ideas, but um, when Zach Taylor comes in, obviously, he's, he's got the off-season and the draft now to address uh, to address and, and get how you know, get the team going how he wants to. Are there any particular areas that you, you feel that he, Zach Taylor would need to look to to help, uh, you know, Get get that going. Uh, obviously, last year Billy Price was the was the the pick there on the offensive line. I think it was in the first round, wasn't it? Um, which was obviously needed. The offensive line the year before twenty seventeen uh, was was like a cheese grater, wasn't it? Just getting every everyone was getting through there. What what areas are you concerned about, or does does Zach Taylor need to to address going into the off season, either in free agency or in the draft? Um, certainly, a, a problem that there's been for probably about twenty years is. The linebacking core for Cincinnati has, has always been slow. Um, we always get very badly um, burned by decent tight ends, and when you when you're in the AFC mm-hmm. North and you have the kind of guys that play for Pittsburgh, Vance McDonald always shows up against us, and we need a, an athletic linebacker, someone who can stick with coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, now, KJ Wright uh, of the Seahawks is going into free agency. I want us, if he's not staying in, in Seattle, I want us to throw a lot of money his way because that would be the kind of player you'd be looking at mm. to improve that core and, and make that position better. Mm. Yeah, not too bad to say because, uh, yeah, often, offensive wise, obviously, so if he, if he managed to sort out the quarterback in. 
health of Vandy Dalton and also, you know, maybe his performances, I suppose, could be elevated maybe a notch or two. The offense isn't, isn't actually too bad. Obviously, AJ Green on the outside, Tyler Boyd's uh, shown, you know, stepped up admirably this year uh, in the absences of Green and, and Ross at some point. And you know, John Ross was maybe expected to perhaps do a bit, a little bit better uh, this season. Uh, Tyler Eifert uh, is Tyler Eifert at the end of the day. But on the, on the offensive side, are you happy? Uh, I am happy. There are a couple of issues. Um, the right-hand side of the offensive line was, I think, just a penalty magnet last year. Um, God, what's his name? The the right guard, uh, the right guard who, who just was holding all the time, Alex Redmond. Um, every game there'd be a holding penalty. And the right tackle, Bobby Hart, who seemed to have some kind of twitch where <laughs> every time he lined up, he'd flinch and then there'd be another all-start penalty. It's getting mental mistakes out of the way, and these two players that they might—it might well be that they're actually quite talented, but they just committed so many penalties that they became something of a liability. Mm. Yeah, so like let's say um, a few things will be changing going into 2019-2020 season. If you if you had to give one word to maybe your expectations or how you think they'll perform or what they will do uh, next season, what 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 would the word be? Uh, that would be improvement. I, I can't see how it can get worse. So um, hopefully there, there'll be a, a marked improvement on both sides of the ball and and that will be something that will spark maybe a brighter future. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think Cincinnati could be one of the dark horses going into 2019. Certainly, if you're if you're a punting person, I'm quite eager to see what their win their win uh, season win total is, because I think they might uh, under under appreciate the Cincinnati Bengals and maybe give it a 5.5 or a 6.5. Uh, in which case, I'm quite happy to go over. But what it's, obviously it's a a division where it's changing landscape a little bit. You've got the uprising there of the Browns. Pittsburgh Steelers seem to be imploding more and more each as each year goes past. Antonio Brown now certain to to leave, although maybe by the time this podcast has come out, he's maybe gone somewhere else. But uh, Big Ben obviously not getting any younger. Um, and then obviously a new era over in Baltimore with uh, Lamar Jackson. Where, where do you see the kind of Cincinnati fitting in with this division? Because notoriously, the North, AFC North, has always been quite a tough, a toughly fought one. Um, but it's obviously, usually Pittsburgh and Baltimore fighting it out for that first position. Do you see either the Bengals or, or the Browns kind of challenging, challenging next season? I can definitely see the Browns challenging. They have something's gone very right with them, and I mean there has been a, a report that's come out sort of very recently, sort of talking about the dysfunction behind the scenes. I think that's possibly coming to an end now and mm. um, we're going to start seeing Cleveland becoming a real contender um, obviously Pittsburgh I never want to write them off even though sort of <laughs> we, we we intensely dislike them yeah. but they're always going to be there or thereabouts mm. um, Baltimore are always going to be tough but I think of the three they are the ones that I think will be most likely to fail mm. I think that's because of how they're using Lamar Jackson whether they can find anybody to back him up when he inevitably um, suffers because of the amount of work that he's getting on the ground. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. So, early predictions in for 2019. How many wins you get? I think we'll be probably about seven or eight wins. Mm. Um, I don't want to over-egg the pudding just yet. Yeah. Obviously, it's early days. We don't know who's coming in through the draft or in through free agency. Yeah. But Hopefully there there will be improvement there, and with with fewer injuries, yeah. it might get a bit better. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, Cincinnati were a team I'm keeping an eagle eye on over in the off season. But Jamie, 
So thank you so much for coming on to the show and talking uh, all about the Bengals. Um, really appreciate that. And so, say so we'll get you on just before the, the next season starts and we'll uh, maybe have a, a bit more of an idea in, on what the Cincinnati Bengals are going to do. Thanks a lot, Tim. Cheers. There you have it, AFC North all done and dusted for you. That's three quarters of the AFC all done. Tomorrow we will complete the line with the AFC West. A couple of good ones there as well. Hoping you can join, join us for that and I hope you can uh, join us next week as well for all of the NFC as well. Hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Please do let us know at Full 10 Yards. would love to hear any feedback, good, bad or indifferent. It's all about making it uh, more suitable and more aesthetically pleasing to your ears if that is actually possible. Uh, but that's going to do it for today's podcast on the full 10 yards. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back again tomorrow. In the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards. Or email the show, full10yards at gmail.com.